and praise you for being God. The enemy is always working, always trying to disrupt the flow. But we talked about it in the past that the enemy has no power. You have all power, God. All he has is the deception and the lies. And if we fall prey to the victim and become victims of his lies, we will just stop praising you. But we can't stop. We won't stop. We will continue to praise you, God. And so as we move forward in this service, we just look to you, the author and finisher of all things, that we will have this worship that will be glorifying to you. And so, God, as we move forth, let the words of my mouth be and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight that the words would fall on good ground and a seed will be planted. We ask these and all things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Boy, I tell you, when you uh, power is out this morning, now our projector just decided it didn't want to work because of the battery issue and fixed that and it's still not functioning properly, but hey, we're still here. We're still going to do what we're called to do. We're still going to praise the Lord. Uh, everybody good? Pastor Lance and your bride. It is so great to see you guys this morning. And everybody that is here, uh, we had good news that Mother Scott is on her way to uh, California. And uh, we did one of my favorite people. Be good to see her next week. Uh, Yesterday at Imagine If, we, uh, everybody knew we were talking about participating in Imagine If, uh, and we had probably a little over 300 people that got fed, uh, hygiene products given out, clothing, toys for every child, and pretty close to 40 bikes. Uh, 20 of those bikes came from Road to Damascus. tell you it is um, to see the excitement on the kids faces when we because we didn't have enough bikes for everybody we had to raffle them off and as they're sitting there with the anticipation of hearing their numbers called and the shouts and the screams that every time a child won a bike and they're running up with so enthusiastically knowing that these this was Christmas for them yesterday on December 25th, the morning of December 25th, they will wake up and play with the toys they received yesterday. And uh, it, it's just heartbreaking that we live in the United States of America, the richest country in the world, a country supposedly founded on Judeo-Christian values, and yet so many of our people suffer, have need, and are hungry. Uh, as a matter of fact, it reminds me of the uh, conversation I had with uh, someone who was politically inclined to support, regardless of what he says or does, the current uh, occupant of uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And he, he said to me, well, Ron, he's done some good things. Here, here's something to be good about, some article where he supposedly signed an $800 million uh, thing or uh, proposal to revitalize the black and urban communities. And, and I told him, I could feel good about that if, in fact, I believe he was doing something out of the goodness of his heart instead of the goodness of his bank account. And considering the fact 
that when we see a lot of the development and urban revitalization, as they call it, it is not for the brown and black people who live in those areas, but for the people who will eventually move back into those communities. So I ain't impressed. And then he tells me, well, Ryan, maybe you should read the stories of these black pastors and what's been happening in their community. And I said, you must forget who I am. <laughs> I, and I said, do you re realize that I am a black pastor and that my church is in a black community and my family lives in the black community, so I'm always in the black community and I ain't seen nothing. And yesterday was evidence of the people lined up down the street just to get food. So I wonder where these so-called black pastors are, where they think that things are going so good that things have all of a sudden in two years changed like that and all of a sudden things are great peaches and cream for black and brown people in the United States of America. But that's not what I'm here to preach about. <laughs> Had a whole other thing and went off on a rant. Uh, well, because you guys can't see what I see, uh, <laughs> we're dealing, uh, we're almost done. We're dealing with the series of God, the covenant God, the God of covenant, the promise keeper. And the scripture that we use to cover uh, this past month has been Numbers 23, verse 19. And using the message translation, it says, God is not man, one given to lies, and not a son of man changing his mind. Does he speak and not do what he says? Does he promise and not come through? And we continue to talk about God, that he is a way maker. He is a miracle work worker. He is a promise keeper because he doesn't tell us things for the purpose of uh, 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 what, did, uh, what did my grandfather used to say, uh, uh, flapping his gums. <laughs> this is for a purpose. And, and as we, we, we looked at some of the scriptures, Isaiah 49, 15 through 19 in the message translation, uh, God is speaking to us. He said, can a mother forget the infant at her breast walk away from a baby she bore. Not even if mothers forget, I'd never forget you. Never. And you think about this. This is God saying he would never forget us. And people may do the things that, that get in the way of, of, uh, of our lives and prevent us from doing the things that God wants us to do. But he's saying, I will never forget who you are, I will always be there for you. And we saw in the last two weeks in, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings with the prophet Elijah and his, his, his uh, oh, they must be on the roof. <laughs> his armor bearer, Elisha, uh, and the miracles that they perform uh, for the two widows. One widow who was uh, making her last meal and the other widow who was uh, in debt and, and God provided a miracle uh, for them. But the fact of the matter is, is the key that we drove into was their obedience, their willingness to take God's way over their own way, the things that made sense to us in the physical world, but don't make sense in the spiritual world. They chose the spiritual over the physical, and the miracle was given uh, to them. Uh, we talked about this science and how important science is to the, uh, for the atheist actually, for the skeptics. Uh, but Dr. Hugh Ross says science continues to reveal God and, I, and it reminded me just recently of a conversation I had uh, with an atheist and we, we talked about all these things. He's going back and forth but Dr. Ross told us that the universe is perfectly designed 
uh, I forgot the exact wording he used, but got to being fine-tuned to support life. And, and I'm talking to this guy and showing him another video where the guy was saying, once upon a time, science said we had thousands of planets in the, in the universe that could support life. And as time goes on, science has been driven that number down from thousands to hundreds and the hundreds to the tens and the tens to one. That now only one planet has been shown capable of supporting life. Yes. That this entire universe was created to support life on this one planet. <laughs> the entire universe was created to support your individual life on this planet. Yes. And it gives you an idea of understanding how powerful it is, this force of God, this supernatural relationship that we can have with him. As a matter of fact, Dr. Tony Evans said that as soon as you said, I give my life to Jesus Christ, you have been plugged in to supernatural power. But we choose not to use it. We talked about the fact that it is our ability that controls or it is what we are the one that controls God's ability to work in our lives because we receive God in our life. We uh, do what God says with no fear. We trust him and we are obedient to his word. And when any one of those three are not there, God can't move the way he moves in our lives. And, and we saw that last week. What was the name of my sermon last week? Faith matters. Thank you. I was right on the tip of my tongue and I couldn't get it out. And we saw last week in Mark chapter 6, verse 4 and 6, that he was going to his town. He had just performed three miracles and he goes back to his hood and it said in verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there. That these people who are so lacking in faith that how faith mattered to Jesus Christ, that he couldn't do a work to the people who need it. And we see that today in the United States of America, in this place we call planet Earth, in the house of God. And then it goes on to further in verse 6, it said, and he marveled because of their unbelief. That's a sad statement to say that Jesus can be marveled at our unbelief. That he does these things and manifests uh, things in your lives in the past and today he just marvels at how unbelief our unbelief. Uh, we, I said it was not always enough to know that God is the God of covenant, that he is a miracle worker, is believing that God will do it for you. But the bigger question of all that is, are you willing to do what it takes to have a miracle in your own individual lives? And that takes us to our scripture this morning, the Gospel of John chapter 11. Very familiar passage of scripture dealing with Jesus and his friend, Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 37 to 39, in the New King James Version, it said, and some of them, uh, some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? The questioning of Jesus' power. Could this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Lazarus, raised from the dead. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came in the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. 
So this morning as we get to the end of this God of Covenant series, I want to use for a theme, take away the stone. Take away the stone. So again, it is not always enough of knowing that the God of Covenant is a miracle worker. It's believing that he will do it for you. Then the question, are you willing to do what it takes to have a miracle in your life? Which leads us to the next question. Are you willing to take away the stone? Are you willing to take away the stone? See, in, in this translation, the stone uh, in the Greek is, said, is called lithos. And a stone, most of us use stone and rock interchangeably. But rock is not lithos. Rock is Petra. Uh, Jesus said it to, uh, to Peter that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he changed his name to Peter, which is the English version of Petros. Petra, the rock. Uh, uh, Mark's 20, uh, Matthew 27 verse 60 uh, gives us a clear definition of the difference between a rock and a stone. And In this chapter, this is Jesus that had already been uh, crucified and they prepared his body for burial and it says, uh, and, he, and they laid it in his new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. This is Joseph who owned the tomb and he had hewn the stone the stone uh, hewn the, he, he, the rock was in the mountain he carved it out then he rolled the stone in front of it some of these words they kill me you just, you gotta, gotta work with it here <laughs> so clearly a rock is infinite is bigger than a stone uh, and so he said he, he carved out this out of the rock drilled it out, hollowed it out to create a place that he could walk inside. He buried Jesus' body in there, and then they rolled a stone against it. A rock and a stone are not the same thing. Uh, uh, and see, we have these issues, though, because we have problems in our lives, and we're going through these battles, and we're looking for God all the time to come in and step in on our behalf, and he's trying to work miracles for us. But for some reason, we keep putting stones in the doorway. God, I need you to do this for me. But we're pushing the stone. You, you think about how much work it takes to carve out this rock, then carve out a stone to put in front of the rock. How hard we work to carve stones to block God from working in our lives. We don't ever think about it in this context that we actually work against God. But everything we do in our natural sense Forgetting the supernatural power that we have access to is carving out a rock, a stone, to put in front of the doorway. What we see in this story and what we see in our lives is first we have a need. There's always a need that we have from God. Uh, but then somewhere along the line, because God is not moving the way we want him to or in the time we expect him to, we start doing what it is we do. We fall back onto uh, what Dr. Boyce Watkins said, our habits take over. Yeah. See, we have the supernatural power that we say we believe in, that our faith is supposedly rooted in, but we revert back to what we know. Uh -huh. 
Uh, the good thing about science is that it does give us natural laws. We, we know that when somebody dies, unless you put them in the ground, they are going to stink. That's when, when they said that it's been four days, Lazarus been in here, there's a stench that's coming. That is a natural law. We can't get around that. So we, we have a need, and we do what we do, either through our habits or because of our knowledge of the natural process of how nature works. Then we confront God for not doing it what we wanted. Every time, you didn't do this for me. You didn't come when I called. I'm sitting here waiting on you. But then when he comes, then we question his methods. Why are you doing it this way, God? Why do I have to go here when I need to go there? Why do I have to give this man my last food? What did the lady say? The widow said, a handful of flour and a little oil. I'm making this for my last meal. How dare you say, give it to me and then make some for yourself. I just told you I don't have enough for me. God is telling you to do it this way. So we see here the need that was established with, uh, with uh, Lazarus. John uh, 11, verse 1 through 3. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The need. We got your boy. Remember, God, I came to you. And I was so enthralled with being in your presence that I broke this alabaster box and anointed your feet with this oil. And in, to, in order to get it off, I wiped it with my hair. This is my brother who's sick. I'm telling you he's sick. And you told me you loved him. There was a need. Uh, we see in verse 6 and 7. So he heard that he was sick. Jesus heard the news. Then it says he stayed two more days in the place he was. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. I have told you I got a need. They tell us in the Bible that how valuable this oil was that she put on his feet, that it was all could have been a year's salary in this oil. This is how much I've given to you. My brother, the one you love. And he had the audacity. He stayed two more days where he was. Then he said, let us go to Judea. Uh, uh, but then he tells them in verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that is in the Son of God may be glorified through it. You, have, I mean, you think about this here. Lazarus was sick. Word that came to him that he's sick. We know he's going to die because we know the outcome of the story. Jesus is sitting there after he waited two more days, said, this is not unto death. And if you think about this, here's a man who we know is dying, who is going to die. And Jesus said, this is not unto death. So why do we think that the miracle that we want from God is going to kill us if a man who died didn't get killed by it? Jesus said, this is not until death. It ain't going to kill him. Nothing that you are going through right now is going to kill you. It is not going to break you. It is not going to ruin you. It is not going to do anything to, uh, for, against you because Jesus said, this is not unto death. But boy, we sure do feel like it is. 
Then here it is what we do, the natural law and habit. So in verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. This is what we do. Now, Jesus, I anoint your feet. I wipe them off with my hair to dry your feet off. I've seen you do miracles. We've heard about everything you've done. So when my brother is sick, instead of leaving him where Jesus have access, we put him in the tomb. That's the natural thing to do. When things go bad, you do what you're supposed to do. When you run out of uh, money, you borrow money from someplace else. The bills are due. you got to pay. You can't b uh, bounce a check because they'll come and put the lock on the door. And you've heard me say before, I've had come up, walking up the stairs of my apartment, looking at the door, peeking before I get there, hoping I don't see that three-a-day or quit notice from the landlord. We do what we need to do, forgetting that God has all power. Then we confront God, and we see in verse 21, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now he has come. <laughs> he is coming, presumably to see Lazarus. But we said, Lazarus is dead. Confront them. If you had been here, when I, call, I called you before this happened, if you had been here and died. Then we go on to verse 32. Then when Mary came from where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We confront God at every chance we get. Every time something's not going our way, it is a confrontation with God. So now here's God uh, telling us uh, what to do, but we question his way. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. The Son of God tells you to do something. You do it. You don't think Jesus knows? If we already told you this man is in the tomb, something's supposed to happen. He's supposed to stink. You take a fish out of water, you leave it on the ground, that day that fish starts stinking. Yes, yes. That's what natural law says. Right. You throw a ball in the air, ball's coming down. Right. That's gravity at work. Yeah. We can't walk on water. You go out there stepping on water, you will sink or float if you know how to swim. Mm -hmm. Period. That's natural law. Yeah. But if God says, come to me, what you supposed to do? Get out the boat. When Jesus says, move the stone, you move the stone. Period. But we question, Lord, by this time, there's no way you can step in now. It's too far gone. The doctor says, only got this much time. My marriage is this far gone. My kids have done this. Jesus said, take away the stone. See, the thing is, Tony Evans said this, I saw it about a previous sermon he said, that he preached. He said, you can be accurate in all your facts, 100% correct, and still be wrong with God. Blew my mind. Yes, people, when the body decays, it stinks. That's correct. That is 100% correct in the natural world. In the spiritual world, it's 100% wrong. Your bank account may say zero in the natural world, but in the spiritual world, 
you're overflowing with riches. See, the doctor may tell you you got zero chance of surviving in the natural world. But in the spiritual world, you are a new creature. See, but we, we, life don't go my way. If it wasn't for luck, I'd have no luck at all. Who needs friends like these? This didn't happen in my timeline. I wish I would have done things differently. I, I could have done this. Oh, where would I be? <sighs> Ain't nothing to worry about anymore. So we got to get to this place and we know we got a stone put up on the opening that God is trying to touch. But we keep putting these stones in front of it expecting God to do a miracle when we won't even let him in. And you've got to have a reason to move the stone, apparently. Apparently, we need something more than just knowing Jesus is a reason to move the stone or even not even put the stone there. But once the stone is in place, we have to have reasons to move the stone. So I'm going to give you some reasons to move the stone. First reason, Jesus loves you. First and foremost, Jesus loves you. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Right there, he loved them. And I've said it before and I will say it to I die. Put your name in there. Put your name in one of those spaces. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But now Jesus loved Henry and Carol and their son Ronald. I'll put me in there. <laughs> put your name in that scripture and you understand that when Jesus is coming to you, whether he is delayed from your point of view or he's sitting there saying, I'm not coming yet, I'm going to come in two more days, he still loves you. Because he says it in his word, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Just put your name there and you will see Jesus loves you. Reason two to move the stone. Jesus will not forsake you. We've heard it before. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he told us in the Great Commission to, to go forth uh, and to convert the people, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I will be with you, even until the end of the age. I'm never going to leave your side. But we see in verse 8 and verse 11 uh, in this same chapter, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again. And see, after he's sitting there chilling uh, away, after he gets word where he was, he decides he's ready to go. But the disciples are reminding him, People are trying to kill you back where, you, where you're talking about going. They want to take your life. And he proceeds to talk about some things that he gets down to verse 11. He says, these things he said after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. In spite of the death threats, in spite of people wanting to kill him, he said, I'm going to see my boy. Again, put your name right there. Uh, so what, you're sitting around there thinking that Jesus is not thinking about you or he's not uh, responding to your prayer or something is keeping Jesus from coming in and he's saying, I'm going to see my friend. Regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what you think is too big or too heavy for God, he says, my friend needs me. Are you God's friend? I know I call myself his friend. See, these, there are some days you wake up and you think, I can't go on. I can't do this anymore. 
This is overwhelming to me. I, I'm out of my mind. I'm out of my wits. I can't. I just don't know where to go. And Jesus said, you're my friend. I'm your friend. And I'm going to him despite the circumstance. Another reason to move the stone. Jesus already had this worked out. And he's already got it worked out for you. Uh, it says in verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. Again, reminding us he's dead. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Heard is past tense. This has already happened. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you me. sent me. Think about this here. He's standing in front of the tomb. I done told you to move the stone. The stone is still there. Then they finally do what he says. And he prays to God. I thank that you have heard me. We have already talked about this guy. You and me, when we set this whole thing in motion, Holy Spirit was right there with us, and we talked about everything that was going to happen from the beginning to the end of time. We've laid out the road map, and everything that Henry Thomas was going to do, we talked about it. Everything that Chantel said was going to be a problem, we saw this coming. Everything that Carol cried about, we were there with her. We laid this out. Brother Lance, whatever we see, he's complaining about, we knew this. We talked about this. I have prayed for these people with you, Father. I thank you that you have heard me. And not only have you heard me, I thank that you always hear me. That we talked about it already, but when I come to you now, you hear me. He already got it worked out. So why are we crying about something God already worked out? Why are we keeping our head down low and our head said that it hung low? Because God has already worked it out. The strife, the people we're trying to please. He said, I got this worked out. We heard this already. And the last reason to remove the stone, Jesus already has his miracle specifically for you. Specifically for you. Verse 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried out, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, there, there are preachers that have said he didn't just tell people to come forth because everybody that was buried was going to come out. That may have been true, more than likely true because of the power of God. But he goes to this grave site specifically for this issue. The need was Lazarus was sick. Then Lazarus died. And then Jesus comes and said, Lazarus, Come forth. Yeah. Again, put your name on it. Yeah. Ronald, come forth. Yeah. Gwen, come forth. Judy, come forth. <laughs> you are dealing with this issue that you think is unbearable. You think that this is a death sentence given to you. You think your life is so bad, but I'm telling you, come forth to me. He had already said, uh, uh, well, maybe he didn't already say it, but he said in another gospel, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. 
If you come forth to me, I will give you rest. Whatever it is that's troubling your mind and breaking you down, you come to me and I will give you rest. But it don't happen until we take away the stone. We can sit there for our entire lives and keep this stone blocking these openings. Keeping these stones and keeping, we're thinking we're keeping everybody else out, but we're keeping Jesus out. Steve, you can do what you need to do. But what we're going through is not the end. It is not the end of my story. It's not the end of your story. Whatever you think that is taking you down, it's not going to succeed. And he said it just to remind you in verse 4. When he heard that, when Jesus heard that, when Jesus heard that doctor say that you can't be cured, when Jesus heard that there was strife in your home, when Jesus heard that you were sick, when Jesus heard that you were broke, when Jesus heard that you were hungry, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Whatever it is, is not to the end. This will not kill you. It won't kill me. And, and, and we, we see further in the chapter, it tells us that Jesus wept. Uh, see, some, some ministers would talk about uh, that Jesus wept because Lazarus died and other ministers say, well, he couldn't have wept because Lazarus died because he knew he was bringing him back. Yeah, he was his friend, but he knew he was going to see him again. I think Jesus wept because he felt their pain. When you are leading people, call Brother Lance, Pastor Lance, when you are leading people and you pray, Elder, you can feel the pain of the people. Yeah. You walk into a room and you just, the spirit is heavy in here. I've seen preachers say, you know, I can't go forward with this sermon until I address the need. I don't know who this is for, but somebody is dealing with. Somebody is feeling that. Somebody is betrayed. Somebody is feeling alone. Somebody's feeling left out. Jesus had to sit there after hearing that his friend was sick, he had to wait till he died. I can imagine that knowing that I got the power to save him from where I am, but I can't. And he's going to have to suffer whatever it is and die. And the people who love him have to watch him die. That's painful. You know how it is as a, as a parent when we, we, we watch our children do things? And we want to step in and keep them from feeling this pain. But when you can't do anything for them, because sometimes it's physically impossible. Sometimes there has to be a lesson that has to be learned. But it makes you feel pain. You will weep. And I believe that when Jesus, when they said Jesus wept, he took on that pain. And they talked about the people, there were so many people there uh, uh, crying with Mary and Martha. What's the word? Mourning. Mourning with Mary and Martha. Because they loved Lazarus. I would imagine he felt that pain. But he is still waiting to do this miracle for us. Our educated minds will not allow us to believe God. Because it doesn't make sense. Pastor Ray, when he was here and he did for our anniversary, he said, Obedience and faith is inconvenient. 
to do what God says is inconvenient. It's not popular. But he is still there waiting to, to hear our need. And, and, and why I believe that, that Jesus was feeling the pain of the people because in Hebrews 4.15, the voice translation says, For Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws. He has already been tested in every way that we are tested. But he emerged victorious without failing God. But the key to that, he is, he is not a high priest that has no sympathy for our weaknesses. He feels our pain. He understands what it means to lose somebody that we love. He understands what it means to be sick. He has felt that pain. And he clearly understands what it knows to be to die. See, we have people who are loners and introverts. And we think we can do this thing called life alone. But God did not create us to do this alone. He did not create us to do this thing called life by ourselves. It was supposed to be with community, with people who love us and protect us. Uh, see, in verse 41, it says, they moved the stone. After Jesus said, move the stone, they moved the stone. There were people there that helped Mary and Martha move that stone. We need people in our lives that are going to pray for us, pray with us. Help us move these stones. They're too heavy to move by yourself. And if there's not a stone in your life and you don't need anybody to help you move, then you need to be helping other people move their stone. Because if you're there just standing there doing nothing with your hands in the pocket, you're just in the way. Taking up space. And it's like these atheists always talking, we can't do anything for, for our community because you guys are too locked into the word. And when I post pictures of Imagine If, I said, what, what did you guys do? We're out here doing something for our people. Do you see where we are? Our people. You're just talking. They ain't helping nobody move no stones. And they got nobody to move a stone for them. Lazarus got his miracle. But he still needed people to help him. Because even after Jesus said, come forth, he said, loose him. He was still bound with the burial cloths. And he couldn't take them off. He had just been given a miracle to be raised from the dead. But he still needed people to help him to get free. Wait, you, you missed that completely. He has received a miracle, but he still needed people to help him get free. If you think for one minute that you can go through this life by yourself. If you think that God is going to give you a miracle and you're going to receive it by yourself, you are sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. We all need... How does that song go? I, that's, see my baby, she's right here with me. Uh, I need you to survive. That's it. Who's ready to sing? I'll mess up the word. It is his will that every need be supplied. Are we going to be the people who help move away the stone? Are we going to be the people who tell each other that you're important to me, that I need you to survive? 
I need you here in my life. I need you day and night. I can't do this without you. I can't do this without everybody here in this sanctuary. I need you in my life. So I pray for you. You pray for me because we're part of God's family. Agree with me. Stand with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just praise you and exalt you. We give your name on high, the praise that is due you, because you are the awesome God, the creator of all things. There is nothing outside of your realm that you can't touch, nothing that you can't fix, God. And so we ask today, Lord, that we just get help in our lives to move the stones that we have put in the way of the opening to block you from working miracles in our lives. We need you, God, to come in here and do something and send the people to us that when we're stuck in our ways, that you remind us we can't do this on our own, that you remind us that we have to be humble sometime and ask for help, that you remind us that it is with the power of community that we can change people's lives, that we can change the hearts of men, that we can change entire communities and exalt you, showing that you are the God of all. Help us, God, to remove those stones and not live lives blocking the miracles and blocking people from being there for us. We love you, God, and we thank you for your power. We thank you that we get plugged into the supernatural power that supersedes all natural law, that supersedes anything the natural may say, that supersedes whatever the doctors, the bank account, the lawyers will say. You have the final say. And we love you. And we praise you. And we give your name all the glory and honor because you are the one true and living God. And it is in your son, Jesus Christ, that we humbly pray and believe. And we ask it all. Amen. Amen.